Master, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. These words out of the mouth of Philip are truly the cry of every human soul. They are the longing of every human soul. Show us the Father, and that will be enough. What Philip is saying, St. Augustine put, I don't know, three centuries later, Lord, you have made us for yourself. Like we are oriented towards you in the very core of our being. Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Brothers and sisters, this truth, whether we believe it intellectually, whether we feel it or not, whether we agree, I'm just telling you, human anthropology, Christian anthropology, like this is the core desire of the human heart. And it is only an encounter with the living God ever more deeply that will satisfy the deepest longings of the soul. And if we think to ourselves, which we can, and which I have thought, and which I'm sure I'll be tempted to think again, like, okay, okay, kind of boring by now. Heaven will be boring for you, okay? Like, really, there is within us, oftentimes covered over, hidden, this profound longing for God. And some of it is our own ignorance of our own desires, right? Because we desire lots of things and kind of on different levels, which is beautiful. We're meant to do that. We're meant to do that. I hope LSU wins the national championship in every sport every year. Like, I'm like, let's go. Like, why not? But it's not like a deeper desire of mine. Not the place where, like, my soul deeply resides, but I want it, you know? Good. But if it doesn't happen, okay. I want to go, and every time I go fishing, I want to fill the boat up. Like, let's sink the boat with the fish. Not the deepest desire. Right? I want to be healthy. I want good health, physically, mentally. This is a deeper desire, and it's a good and beautiful thing. I want healthy relationships, deep relationships, and we're getting further and further down. This is even more beautiful, and this is even more akin, right, and more in communion with the deepest desire of what we're made for, for God. But even underneath this very good and very human and very correct desire for proper relationship is for relationship with the Lord. Because without, without Him, nothing can ultimately satisfy. And so this is something that Philip, as he's journeying with Jesus, like there's just beginning to be awakened in his heart. Jesus calls Philip to follow him. Philip is following Jesus. And then you can just, just kind of imagine this gradual, like, man, who is this guy? You remember when they're early on, when they're, the apostles are following him, Jesus is like, hey, get in the boat. 
We're getting in the boat. Jesus gets in the boat with them, and the storm comes. And the Lord knows the storm is coming. When the storms come in our life, the Lord knows that they're coming. And they're all flipping out, trying to, like, you know, right the ship, and everything's going on, and they think that they're dying because the storm is, like, so huge, what's going on. And then they look at Jesus, and he's sleeping. And they're like, well, something for this guy, you know, like, yeah, we left everything to follow him, but here he is. He has us in this boat, and we're going to drown. Like, is this how it's all going to end? Like, come on. I should have just stayed home. Wake him up. When you say, Master, get up. Do you not care that we are perishing? Right? They're not like, hey, do you not care? It's like raining really hard. Like, we're dying. Get up. And Jesus calms the storm. He calms the storm. And then they look at him, and what do they say? Who is this that even the winds and the sea obey? Again, we have to think, they left everything to follow him because they knew he was something more than just a man and just a teacher and just a prophet, becoming to believe that he's possibly the Messiah. And then in this moment, then they recognize, who is this? Whom even the winds and the sea obey. We have to understand, they knew the scriptures. Who do the winds and the sea obey? Go back to Genesis, one person. That is God. And they're like, are you? Are you? Could you be him? And there's still this mystery. And so this longing and this new revelation actually unearthed for them a greater desire to be with him. So they're just with him more, and there are these things that are happening, and he's healing, and he's teaching, and he's saying challenging things. Like, hey, my body, my body, right, is true food, and my blood is true drink. And unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you will not have life within you. And if we read John chapter 6, what happens is, at first, you know, there's kind of two groups that he's preaching to. He's preaching to the Jewish people, and he's preaching to people who have already become his disciples. Typically Jews at this point who have already become his disciples. And so the Jews initially are like, "Mm, not kosher, not kosher at all. We're leaving. Not good. And they leave. And then he begins, his, his, his disciples who are with him, who are used to him speaking metaphorically, are like, so is this like when you were talking to Nicodemus about being born again, you know? And Nicodemus is like, hey, you have to re-enter your mother's womb? Like, what are you talking about? It's kind of weird. I'm not sure if I'm down for that, you know? And Jesus is like, no, I'm speaking about being born again of water and the Spirit, So he speaks, like I was speaking metaphorically in terms of baptism. So they ask him, like, hey, is this like one of those metaphors that you're talking in about eating your flesh and drinking your blood? And he says, no, amen, amen, I say to you. When we hear Jesus say that in the scriptures, it's like if you weren't paying attention, then pay attention now. Amen, amen, I say to you. My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And that's when he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will not have life within you. And then what happens? Then those who are already his followers, who are already his disciples, they say, what do they say? No problem. No, they say, this 
teaching is hard. And Jesus is like, yes, it is. So some of them said they left. Like the teaching of the Eucharist is that I can't handle it, I'm leaving. So then he turns to the twelve. Right? Philip is one of those twelve. And he says to them, are you two going to leave? Are you two going to leave? And I can imagine, you probably heard me say this before, like I can imagine that if I'm one of the twelve, if I'm there, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, yeah I'm, I was really considering this. This is crazy. What you're asking of me is hard and it's too much. And so, there's a, we don't know how long there was a pause, right? There's a, but Peter says, Peter finally speaks up and says, Master, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of everlasting life. And we have come to believe and we are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. Where are we going to go? Even though you are asking something difficult of us, where are we going to go? Because we have recognized until this point to a certain aspect, right? Not completely, not fully, but that the deepest longing of my heart, I have looked and I have searched everywhere and there is nowhere except in your person, Jesus, except in you, that there is a fulfillment of this. And so I'm not going anywhere even though I don't know that I can do what you're asking me to do because I got nowhere else to go. And so this man, Philip, continues to walk with him as Jesus is speaking about the Holy Eucharist. And here we have, in chapter 14 of John's Gospel, at the Last Supper, Jesus is about to be like, man, the thing you thought was hard, I'm about to blow your mind. You're here at the Last Supper, and you're recognizing that there's no lamb, and you're probably thinking to yourself, what's going on? But you're here because I'm here, and I'm talking to you, but I'm about to blow your mind. But what he says to them, right, he says to them, Philip is like feeling, like he's, it's almost as if he's anticipating Jesus giving himself to them in the Eucharist. He's like anticipating it. Like I know something's coming because this longing in his heart is just, it's coming up so much. And so Jesus is talking about, I'm preparing a place in the Father's heart for you and I'm gonna go and I'm gonna take you. And Philip's like, yes, yes, yes. And he says to him, show us the Father. Show us the Father and that will be enough. Show me the Father and that will be enough. And this, this longing that had been growing and had been growing and had been growing, even as Philip believed who Jesus was, even as he began to understand his teaching, he believed he was the Messiah, the Son come, and longing for him. It's like, there's this something more in me. And he manifests our own deepest longing for God. It's become uncovered at this point. And what is Jesus' response? Have I been with you for so long a time and you still do not know me, Philip? And what is Jesus expressing here? Jesus actually is expressing his desire to be known in this way. 
Like Jesus is expressing, is not only, he's like, Philip is saying, Lord, I want to see the face of the Father, which, which he's also saying, which he doesn't realize, Jesus, I want more of you. I want more of you. And Jesus is saying, I want you to want that. Like, I desire, I long for you to want this, Philip. I want it so much that that's why I came and that's why I'm here. And there's even this pain in my heart. There's this pain in my heart that you don't even know it fully yet. It's this longing of God. It's amazing. It's amazing. That God desires for us to desire him. And he experienced it not only as God, but as a human. Like his human heart is longing for our heart to long for him. It's amazing. He even cries out for us, right? It is beautiful. And so in this moment, then what does Jesus do? This is my body. This is my blood given up for you. If you have seen me, then you have seen the Father. Because the Father and I are one. This is my body. This is my blood given up for you. Brothers and sisters, oftentimes, there, there are many things that cloud our desire for God, but there are two of them today that I want to mention. One is the ignorance. One is the ignorance, just like authentic ignorance, that like we don't know, we are unaware of God's longing for us. We are unaware. We are unaware. And then we are unaware of our longing for Him. And part of it is because we live in a culture, and this is the second thing, that's very materialistic. And it's part of our fallen human nature and all the things, very materialistic. And so what is, what is materialism? One way to describe it is, is that we, we, we long for things in a way and in an order that is unhealthy and disproportionate. Like, we long for LSU to win the national championship in a way that's disproportionate and unhealthy. We long for a big bank account in a way that's disproportionate and unhealthy. We long for all of these things in a way that's disproportionate and unhealthy. That I'm seeking from these things, what I really want is God. That I'm seeking from these things something that they cannot give me. And actually, when I open my heart to God, I enjoy the things of this world in a way which they cannot be enjoyed when I want more from them than they can give me. When I am aware that the Lord is the one my heart longs, my heart is directed to him, then I'm not expecting from this world and I'm not expecting from other people to fill that hole in my heart. But when I'm expecting it from other people and when I'm expecting it from the world, I will be disappointed. I will be frustrated and I will resent them. And so let us today ask for the Lord to illuminate our mind, illuminate our heart with this deep longing for him. And let us be mindful that the Lord has given us good and beautiful things and this world is good and beautiful. 
but we need to actually like slow down less noise less consumption of things less things in our life that we can make room to actually let the ache of our hearts for God come alive and it will be uncomfortable good the longing for God has to begin in an uncomfortable way because it, it becomes the rocket fuel that directs us towards him. But if we, if we just uh, seek to escape the discomfort, which we do through noise or entertainment or things, if we seek to just escape the discomfort of this longing, we won't find him in the deeper parts of our hearts. We won't find him. So today, as these children are receiving the Eucharist for the first time, let us today come to receive the most holy Eucharist and pray for the deep longing of our hearts to arise. And now whatever in you, whatever in you is this, like this deepest longing or hurt or desire within you, like we just say, Lord, I want this thing because we do. But I know, even if I'm not fully aware, that I want you more than I want this. And so I give my heart to you today as you give me the Eucharist. And we should make space in our life for prayer, for quiet, for study, for serving the poor, and for longing for God so that we can say with Philip and that Jesus can say back to us that we desire him and he desires us. And then we will begin to experience a transformation and a healing and a renewal and a true joy, actually, that will never be complete on this side of heaven never be complete on this side of heaven. And praise God it won't. Praise God it won't. Because if it would ever be complete on this side of heaven, then we would forget about heaven. And we don't want to do that. Come, Lord, direct me to you and show me the face of the Father. Thank you for listening. The ministry here at Christ the King is made possible through our generous donors and golden givers. If you would like to learn more or partner with Christ the King on LSU's campus, please visit ctklsu.org.